buscado un mejor destino para ti, lo que viniera de ti. Tu pueblo, tu pueblo, no conoció tu entrega. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Inside the Journey podcast. This is episode number 12 for Sunday, July 21st, 2013. I'm Nelson DeWitt. And John Younger. We are the team behind the documentary film Identifying Nelson Buscando a Roberto. Today, we're going to do something a little different, and we're going to do a review episode. We kind of wanted to go over... Uh, the episodes uh, that we've done over the past few weeks and months, actually. Uh, we've had a lot of great guests and a lot of great shows, and we wanted to give our two cents, our thoughts, and how those interviews have affected us. I hope that in doing this, we offer a, a couple of highlights about each of the people we got to interview, and, and maybe somebody's interested in listening to a podcast that they hadn't been before. To start with, uh, we're just going to kind of lump these interviews together and then talk about uh, a few points from each one. So the first four really kind of go together, and they were about uh, the film and what we experienced with the film. Yep, that's uh, really our process for anybody that's super interested in what we've done to date and how we've gotten to where we are and and the ups and downs and points along the way. So if, if you're interested, that's that was John and Nelson talking profusely. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for those of you at home, which is all of you, um, John and I, we always have this debate about uh, if, if people want to hear process or not. And, and we, we go back and forth. And I, I think it's interesting to hear like what we went through to to make the film so far and it's hard to balance that with the actual storytelling part and to not bore you to death well and you're just you're also interested in process I, I am I'm, I'm a very process oriented person so like how you make something is is very interesting to me so of course um so well, that's the first four episodes it there yeah there it's it's process it's kind of why we started this thing what we've done so far, our experiences, and our vision as well, where we're going. Mm -hmm. Right? Yep. And then after that, we had a great opportunity to interview your mother, Margaret Ward. And who she, is, she's the author of Missing Mila, Finding Family, which is a, a book about my adoption and reunion. And uh, she did an amazing job. It was great to start with her because I think she's, she's really the point of this podcast is to put ourselves out and make ourselves a little bit vulnerable. And, and, uh, and she certainly has done that with her book. I mean, she puts your family's lives on the pages of it. And, you know, here's, she's someone who's very loving mother who spent, a, it's a very loving story to, to spend the time and effort that she did to get, the story down on paper to research it to ask everybody about it and um, that's really amazing and yeah and it's neat it's just it's you know it's kindred with what we're doing and and comes yeah. before what we're doing and 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 uh, and what we're doing really complements it and builds on it and and uh, it's also great about interviewing her is she's your mom and yet she's in telling the story, she's had to encounter a lot of 
tough truths about El Salvador and your life um, that you know that that's hard to look at, hard to chronicle, hard to hard to get into. And and she faced them very honestly and 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 spoke about it in the podcast. And that was really neat to get yeah. to. Every one of these is a privilege, and to get to interview somebody who's doing that is is to me is is really neat. You know that made me think just now. You know the reason that we're kind of doing this like everything that we're doing is to kind of highlight the impact that the war had on on various different people and and kind of the theme I think unintentionally has been that you know here are uh, we we talked to my mother we talked to Ralph Sprankles who we'll get to next we talked to my brother Derek and we talked to Donnie and each one of them was impacted by the the war in a different way and it's kind of you know we're hearing from them how it's affected them and and as you said my mother had to deal with these very difficult um larger than life questions about mm -hmm. the war and um sort of her involvement as a citizen of a, a country and a well-informed person um it was interesting to hear that she felt like she could have done more to understand the situation at the time you know conducting all those interviews and and you know, she is family with the Escobars and the Cotos, and and um, probably being family with these people who aren't blood relatives gives you a different perspective on who us is and what you know, citizens of the world versus citizens of the U.S. or in caring about people that went through a war situation. I think it just helps put give you a Obviously, you can't understand what they're going through, but it, it just gives you a lot more empathy and, and, and concern. John, was, was there anything that uh, stood out to you in that interview? Anything that my mother said about her experiences that uh, just, you know, really connected with you or made you think about something? Yeah, I thought that she was really, really honest about... We, we talked for a fair amount about Mama Chila and... and how inspiring she was and what she went through looking for you for all those years. And I just thought your mother was very honest about the impression that Mama Chila made on her. And, and, and I mean, having, you know, raised you as your mom and then finding somebody on the other side of you that was look, looking for you for all those years. I just thought your mother was really emotionally honest about that. And I, I thought that was, I, I was glad she shared that with us. I think for me, uh, it was surprising to hear how well she articulated the the struggle that that I have sometimes with, her, or the way that she said these issues of identity. You're always dealing with them, and they always resurface. And you know, you think you've gotten over something, and then uh, something happens, and all the feelings come like crashing back. And uh, that that is certainly something that I've felt uh, many a times throughout the year. And I, it was just it, it was fascinating to hear her say it, maybe even better than than I could. And, and I probably experienced it a lot more. So I thought that that was was uh, kind of the highlight for me. And then the, the other thing is just how excited she was about uh, the question. You know, we, we asked her, you you are someone who's seen 
more of the behind the scenes footage that we haven't been able to share with everyone else. And she was just so excited to be able to share her opinion about that. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, so that, that was fun. I was uh, glad that she uh, enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. She gave us a great start. And then our second interview was equally exciting, which was getting to talk to Ralph Sprinkles. Ralph Sprinkles is, was the lead investigator on your case for ProBuscada. And ProBuscada, for those who don't know, is, is the main aid organization that has, over the years, reunited, I think, you know, in between three and four hundred. There's different statistics. Um, they've found in the high 300s of people, and I think yeah. there's been over 250 reunions. Some people chose yeah. not to be reunited. But, or you know, or some of them died and could not be reunited. Yeah. So I th think yeah. that the term is around 350 solved cases, and then there are and then 500 or more outstanding. Open cases. And right. it, to me, it's just amazing to get to interview him because he's made such a direct impact on the lives of thousands of people. Um, and he's about my age. And, you know, when I was in college, he decided to go to El Salvador, you know, right after a, a war when it was really a broken country and a scary place. And, um, and, and he has just done some amazing things. Um, I wish more people knew of his example, you know. Mm. Um, and he also, he wrote a book that, pro, you know, is published under ProBuscada about a lot of the early cases, I believe, um, and worked very closely with John Cortina, who is really the face of ProBuscada, um, and he was the other co-founder, and he was a Jesuit priest who was friends with Oscar Romero, and, and, uh, and was a driving force between, for finding all these children. What was fascinating to me about that, those two interviews, um, was the way that it was revealed to us that he kind of walked into this position. You know, I, I, I guess um, I've never really talked to him before this, so there's no way that I would know this. But I guess you have this assumption when you have the title of lead investigator that you're somehow like... You, you go to school for that and that you decide to go to this country and you take on this role. And what we learned in the interview was that he really kind of fell into this, that he was there. Well, I wouldn't say he fell into it. Well, well just, no, I, I, I guess what surprised, like he was there doing human rights work, but yes, it, it wasn't like he, he went there and said, I am going to be the lead investigator of Pro-B. Like you know what I'm saying? Like it was, which is even more inspiring. Like, I mean, they came to the situation and and figured out where they could make the most impact, and and this is what sprung of it. You know? Yeah. But yeah, I I don't know for whatever reason I just had this this picture in my head that like you know he he went to El Salvador to be this investigator, and it was more of like he went there to do human rights, and this opportunity to be an investigator came up, and that's how it, mm -hmm. I, I, I guess that's the way that I can explain it. You mentioned it when you were talking with him, and I kind of thought I kind of thought, okay, is this because 
when you got that package, it it's probably you know it will always be one of the most important moments in your life, and it was so just it shattered what was before and something new was going to come after, right? And is it just because you think it's sort of okay, you expect, you know, it's like a dictate from God almost. Like, you know, <laughs> you're just expecting like the UN to be behind it or something. Is that yeah. sort of what you're expressing or? Yeah, or maybe. I, I, I mean, because I, I guess you have the sense of it being more formal. Or, you know, like, mm-hmm. he, here's this, uh, you know, Physicians for the Human Rights is working with this organization in in El Salvador, and the lead investigator on the case is this person, and here's the formal report, and this is what happened. So you have all of these things that are telling you that um, this was like, a, a, you know, an organization that was... Uh, brought into existence with purpose and kind of what you mm-hmm. um, realize is that they were there and they sort of fell into it. And, you know, it, th- I'd, this, say, I'd almost say fell into it's the, the wrong word though. Well, well then, then how would you describe it? Because, well, when I, I, I thought like to me the the, his interview was amazing. And and where it got really amazing was when he said, "Here's how Pro B started." Right? Mm. I mean, he didn't use those words, but when he starts to tell that story, um, and he was off. Like El Salvador does did a truth commission report. They did some type of process that you know, like after our civil war, you know, way back when we had reconstruction and we had certain processes where you're trying to rebuild a country where everybody's been shooting at each other for years, you know? And uh, so they were, they had a truth commission report, which was going to try and document the atrocities. And he was working on that report. And because of the internal politics of that report, because both sides, the, the guerrillas and the government didn't want certain things discussed um, because both their hands were dirty and both were afraid of prosecutions in a war there were a lot of atrocities even if they were very one-sided um, you know the the guerrillas also had their hands dirty you know they had they had chosen methods of war that that weren't you know weren't always noble you know um, and, and maybe their cause was noble and maybe they did a lot of good things but but they did some bad things too. Maybe it was 5% versus 95%, but the point he was making was on both sides, some of the worst stuff didn't get discussed outright. And one of those things was that, that children were kidnapped and ran, you know, and sold off or the point was like, it was, it was unspeakable at the time. Right. And, um, and people Outside of the people it happened to, it didn't happen, quote unquote. Yeah. And I mean, they. Well, sorry. Uh, no, I, I was just going to say that that kind of shocked me as well. That, again, I, you know, maybe it's my own perception of, of, of whatever, you know, it's my perceptions of this person and what I thought he did at the time. Um, mm-hmm. But. You know, it, it it surprised me to hear that most people didn't know about the disappeared children, or mm-hmm. that it wasn't talked about, and it sort of it came out through this truth commission. You know, 
Whereas it came out through he and John Cortina and the families right. of the disappeared. Yeah. Like the and, Truth Commission didn't address it. Right. Well, Although it came out through his work on the Truth Commission. Right. Where where he wanted the the villagers to be able to tell their story, so he went and and started recording them, and then you know he mm-hmm. started hearing over and over again that these children were missing, and and you know to I I guess it just surprised me that it it was the way it unraveled as opposed to there were disappeared children in El Salvador and Ralph Sprinkles came from some foreign land and decided to be an investigator on this cause, you know, and how he was more in the middle of it and it unfolded. I I think that's what I'm trying to articulate. Okay. You know, you know what I'd liken that back to from my own experience? Sure. Just in trying to understand it was I remember in college, I read a book called Parting the Waters, which is Taylor Branch. And it's a, it's a, there's three, books to it now I think and the first one was follows Martin Luther King's life and tells the, the beginning of the civil rights movement and and what amazed I remember reading that book and just being amazed when they do the Birmingham bus boycott how messy it was you know and I'm not I'm not saying that in a uh, derogatory way like a lot of people couldn't do the boycott because they had to go to work, you know, and and there was sloughing of funds, you know, and, and like it wasn't perfect is my point. And it was really um, empowering to me to hear that because it's like, okay, in my life, I think there's nothing interesting, you know, as a teenager when I, when I was reading it, it's like, oh, my life's so boring, you know, nothing's happening. And then you read about you read about this and you're like, well, maybe my life's not so boring. Maybe like change is messy, you know, and maybe there's there's a lot of real people involved and and it takes time and there's there's give and take and back and forth and, and it's not all it's not all, you know, pretty and good and, and I'm not saying that, that his work on the Truth Commission wasn't all pretty and good, I'm, but I'm saying like that, that the way that it unfolded wasn't, you know, like the, was, this movie script, perfect scenario. It was just yeah, well, it know. was real and and had small origins and um and and to me that's the most inspiring thing, you know. To me, that's like that's that is what makes his that story so worthy of being told is uh, here were these people who had suffered in the countryside silently. Most of them, most of them had lost their kids at the beginning of the war 10 to 12 years ago. And they get this chance to tell their story and they tell it. And, you know, right after the war where it's been dangerous to talk at all and it's recorded and they, and they record these horrible stories and they think something's going to be done about it. And, and it goes to, this truth commission and then the truth commission buries it <laughs> i mean oh my god right and then here here and then how could how it's kind of like what derek says in a future podcast like how could you do anything but focus on these stories after that you know yeah um is if you can't if you can't help with these stories what the hell else can you do with your country you know yeah and so to me he's a real hero um and and uh, that's why it's so amazing. Like and to hear him tell that story, of 
of how Pro B started and how how they literally and you know um, they had they had heard some stories about how some of these kids might be in an orphanage in the capital and they like loaded a bunch of people up onto like flatbeds and, or a bus or something and they just drove to the orphanage and they said we know they're here <laughs> yeah and and like the orphanage director wouldn't let them in and the, and there was you know a confrontation or something and then the UN had to get involved it's like that is that's amazing and and then they found five kids and and more people started coming to them and and it wasn't just from the area of Chalatenango where they had been but other parts of the country and out of that you know you have this lasting impact um, it, it, it's just yeah it's, it's fascinating to hear and and I'll, I'll take it in a in a different direction I like to talk about it yeah <laughs> Uh, well, that's why we're doing this, right? Because I, yeah, I yeah. think that it's 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 great to have um, your voice. I think voice this podcast and... should have like a million views, like and, you know, <laughs> it, it's just you know, it, well, it's, it's an amazing it. story. Like I don't know, I don't understand why people don't look at some of the stuff that happened at the end of the Cold War in Latin America, and and look at like the civil rights struggle that's going on and see it in the same vein as we see our own civil civil rights struggle in America and but but do you think just... but do you think part of it is that people want a, a somewhat polished story you, you know that that just came no, to mind that, right I now think that, that that a lot of these people speak Spanish and and our our own understanding of um, the Cold War is very skewed and and I don't think people have the context for it, and I think that there's a language barrier, and I think that I, there's just a yeah, and I I don't know. I think they should. I hope at some point, as the demographics of the United States starts to change and become more Latino, I hope that these stories get more focus. Mm. Yeah. So I I'll just throw in my two cents, and then we'll we'll move on to the next uh, episode that we did. But, you know, I kind of liken it to being a camp counselor. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I went to summer camp for many years, and you were my counselor. And as a camper, you have this impression that everything is so well organized. You know, you have an evening activity, and, you know, everyone knows what they're doing. And uh, then you become a counselor and you realize we're all sort of making it up as it as you go along and like evening activity is done five minutes before it it's ready to go on you know um and the show goes on not because you're ready but because it's time you know mm -hmm. uh so like that was an interesting lesson for me and i think it's just um until i hear the story of martin luther king or ralph sprinkles or anyone else you have this perception that everything is very well organized and run, and then you're sort of surprised when it's when it's the messy reality of when life. When it took place the way it yeah. took place. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hey there, this is Nelson. I've decided to take this episode and chop it into two into two parts uh, based on some feedback that I received. This sounded like a good idea. So we're going to do two 20-minute episodes. This is part one. Next week will be part two of our recap episode, and we will talk about living with uh, two identities, the episode with Derek, and the interview that I did with Donnie. So look out for that. And speaking of my niece, it is her birthday today, so I'm going to wish her a happy birthday. 
and she's actually standing next to me as I record this. But uh, So happy birthday, Donnie. Hope it's a good one. Anyway, we will see you next week. As always, please uh, subscribe on iTunes. Leave us some feedback on Facebook slash Identifying Nelson. Uh, share the show with anyone that you think would enjoy it. And tune in next week for part two of our recap episode. Cue the music.